I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, our bi-weekly podcast where we are having the time of our lives re-exploring our childhoods by revisiting the Babysitter's Club series one book at a time. We are taking some detours there throughout the series as well, and we've got fun new detours planned ahead. But for the moment, today we are talking about an actual like main book series actually written by Anna M. Martin. Go figure. That's that's a rarity these days. I know. Huh? I feel like it, it, you know, it's like that, it's the Sandlot when he's like, it's going to, there was that time when it was the last time you actually went outside and played with your friends, but you didn't know it was that time. And I feel like every time we get an Anna Martin, an Anna Martin book, it's like, is it this one? Do I need to be like, and do I need to be like sad in advance or is, do we get another one? And I, and I, like, I don't want to look and I know you don't want to look, but it's also like, I'm going to be so sad when it's like actually the last Anna Martin book. Because this feels like it could be an appropriate, mm-hmm. you know, like send off for her. It definitely feels like something that's very important to her. But yeah, I do think we have a little bit longer with Anne, though, and only because mm-hmm. I didn't look it up. But what I did look up was when this book came out in relation to the 100th book, because that oh, came out. okay. In 1996. And I want to say Anna Martin wrote that. But I don't know if that's just because she did a signing for it, Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean anything. I feel like if you would have handed Anna Martin any of the Babysitter's Club series, she would have signed it, you know, because I don't know if it was a signing for the 100th or I'm not sure either, but it Mm -hmm. was it was special. And it's because there really is something so wonderful that she brings to Mm -hmm. these books that just is that ineffable extra Anne-ness that's so very lovely, which I guess, spoiler alert, gives away my my thoughts on this particular (laughs) book. Um, But it was nice, especially after two not terrible ones, but, you know, slightly frustrating Mm -hmm. books. It was really nice to have one that I just loved wholeheartedly across the board. It was was lovely. What about you? Was that your experience? A hundred percent. I mean, I think even, and maybe it's because it was an Anne book and we know that she knows and loves these girls and these characters so much that she's able to add that sort of like je ne sais quoi that you're referencing. But it really was just like nice. It was a nice book. It was a nice story. There wasn't really anything too problematic. You know, it was just the girls doing good stuff in their community. And I really, really enjoyed. I, yeah, I loved it. It was good. And I loved the the Anne of it all. It really captured everything that makes this series great. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, you know, we've talked before about, like, what are books that we would, like, give to somebody as a quintessential, like, this is what it's all about. I would gladly advocate this mm-hmm. as one of those books as like a you're going to get a gist of who every character is. Uh, you're going to get a gist of what the series does so well and what its priorities are, what it's important to it mm-hmm. and just what makes it so special. So, yeah, I I, I love this one. So I guess we should probably mention which book we're talking <laughs> right. about. Go figure. As is our way. Today, we are talking about book 48 in the main series, Jesse's Wish. As I mentioned, I think before I said 91 versus 96 specifically, and it does matter based on some timeline research I did later, uh, which, well, just dropping a little hint there. (laughs) But uh, this one did specifically come out in October of 1991. So while we don't get much uh, timeline specificity in terms of the plot, there are some hints, uh, or one in particular. But anyway, the point being, October 1991, actually Anne M. Martin, let's see what the back of the book tells us about what to expect today. When Jessie volunteers to help supervise the Kids Can Do Anything Club, she meets nine-year-old Danielle. Danielle has a beautiful smile and a great sense of humor. But Danielle is no ordinary little girl. She has cancer. Jessie never met anyone like Danielle before. Even though she is very sick, Danielle is courageous and hopeful. She even has two wishes. The first is to go to Disney World. The second is to graduate elementary school. Jessie knows she has to be strong for Danielle, so she makes a very special wish of her own. Ah, you know, I couldn't even, like try to be funny with it. Mm-hmm. I I was like a, a, initially trying to give it my usual overcooked tone. And I <laughs> like, I think that was one of the things that made this book just so perfect is that it did get that tone exactly mm-hmm. right, in my opinion, where I, this one, like the number of times in my notes where I went, ooh, 
ooh, like yep. wrote down, ooh, yeah, this could I, go so wrong. There were so many times I was like, oh God, oh God, where is this going? Please don't go where I think this is going. And then it didn't. And it was like such a nice surprise to be like, oh, all of the like terrible tropes that I remember from my childhood and like Lurleen McDaniel books is like, oh no, it's just, it's it's going the opposite direction and I really love it. <laughs> I, yeah, like Everything from specifically for me, it was the portrayal of Danielle. Mm-hmm. Like it treated Danielle with dignity and not as like a, you know, angelic child savior is cancer whose whose only job is only exists to t- help teach the other characters about themselves. You know, mm-hmm. sort of like the white savior trope, but like the kid savior trope through whatever I don't know some tragedy or right. Well. And I think the thing that was, like, really great about it is, like, with so many of these books, we get so many of those, like, one-off characters that are there to teach that lesson or be like, this is the story of the week. And I feel like, I don't know, obviously, that Danielle comes back, but Danielle feels like a character that could come back. And it wouldn't be because she's the girl who had cancer. It's because Becca and Charlotte are, like, BFFs with her now and, like, love her. Yeah. You know? And, like, she – I mean, the number of times that Jesse spent – time with her entire family and you know she was you know danielle was at their house they went to danielle's house like and just felt like she was a fully formed character and a very like vital part of this story and not just the impetus for jesse to learn a lesson and not an object of pity in the way that mm-hmm. some of like susan that was one of our biggest which we did get a mention yeah. of susan in this one and that was one of the places that i went uh-oh exactly are we, are we bringing is, this is back susan up? coming back no <laughs> thank goodness thank goodness i f- i feel like we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves as usual let's let's Go do figure. the slightly more detailed plot and then we can talk more because i think i feel like we have more to say about danielle and i i know us and if we don't <laughs> if we don't do the the quote-unquote actual plot we're just never going to get to it. And then people are going to be like, but wait, they're talking about whatever. <laughs> so a wise woman. I am quite the smart lady today, apparently. Okay. What actually happened in Jesse's Wish? So the Jesse specific plot. Continuing the trend we've seen for a few books, this is yet another book where the narrator specific plot really drives the whole story and there's no separate plot for the rest of the Babysitter's Club. That being said, this is the book that's all about volunteering. Jesse inspires the girls to all spend a month focusing on volunteer opportunities rather than babysitting. After confirming Shannon and Logan are available, of course, and also happy to cover on the babysitting front, and also allaying Christy's fears that volunteering will absolutely ruin their business. After she hears that Becca's favorite activity at school might get canceled while the teacher is on sabbatical, Becca, Charlotte, Nikki, and countless other 8-, 9-, and 10-year-olds at Stony Brook Middle School participate in the Kids Can Do Anything Club, which gives the kids opportunities to help out in the community. Most recently, they did a toy drive for the local children's hospital where a former member of their club, Danielle Roberts, is spending time due to leukemia. Jesse, along with Becca and Charlotte, get close with Danielle as she returns to school and continues her recovery. The other kids in the club take longer to warm back up to Danielle, but Jesse helps to make that happen more quickly as she discovers a Babysitter's Club Universe alternative to make a wish called Your Wish is My Command and helps to get Danielle's wish to go to Disney World granted. And the kids are all talking about her trip and treating her like a normal kid again. Danielle's family goes to Disney World and she has a great time, but ends the book back in the hospital, unfortunately, although she is keeping a positive mindset. Not quite the upper ending we typically hope for, but at least we can take solace in the fact that we didn't get the Lurleen McDaniel ending. And the other girls have their own volunteering opportunities, but we only really get real insight into Christie's, where she volunteers at a daycare center in the infant room, Claudia, who helps teach an art class for seven-year-olds that includes Karen and Margot, and Dawn, where she connects with a girl with cerebral palsy while volunteering at an after-school program for children with disabilities. We end the book itself with an author's note from Anne herself telling us that this story was inspired by a real-life Danielle whose make-a-wish wish she granted, and stories about other kids who wish to meet her that she has met over the years since writing this book, and I'm not crying you're crying um i was definitely crying like multiple times Uh uh-huh i was like i'm i'm glad so i usually do read the um my like actual physical copies but this one i read the electronic copy that you have that you shared with me and i was very glad that i did because the the author's note was not in the one because she obviously wrote that a little bit later so i um i'm very glad that i read that one because that really was like a nice ending to the overall book for sure to like get that statement from Anne on top of the lovely book that she wrote for us. In all honesty, my I have like a couple of nitpicks because you know we always have nits to pick because 
why else would we have a podcast otherwise? <laughs> anyway, and I think the biggest like complaint I have overall, as I, I do air quotes that you all can very clearly see, um, is that the only way that this could have been better for me is if I, it was a super special and we got like everybody's experience. Mm. That that's, and I think it, that's the only thing that would have made a little bit more sense. Like. It really doesn't make the the premise of Jesse having to be the one to step in to save this club when when the woman was really going to be gone just a couple of weeks like right. that was going to shut down the whole thing forever like anyway that the we'll get into I'm sure some of that ab- absurdity of the premise but other than that like ten out of ten no notes uh, like uh, every piece of it hit the right way for me but what's interesting about that is. I still don't remember it at all. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, I not, again, we're getting to the era where like I didn't really read these as much. I think at least like the numbers. Like I know there are still some yet to come that I have definitely read. I this has no recollection for me, and I don't know if it's because I didn't read it or if it's because it just sort of like went in one ear and out the other. See, and I, I would have been six. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm like doing that math, and the reason I started looking this up in the first place is because I was obsessed with the Lurleen McDaniels. Mm-hmm. Like, that was very much my jam. I read all of those, 16 and Dying, yeah. six, Too Beautiful to Die, A Kiss Before Dying. I read all the series of the camp ones, loved them. But I was definitely a little bit older mm-hmm. when I was reading those. But I feel like because of that, I would have remembered this more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it – so it – it feels strange that I don't remember this one at all because that was such an impactful right. thing. I guess maybe because it was such a long, in in kid terms, yeah. you know, three or four years is practically a lifetime that I guess I had been removed from Babysitter's Club for a bit then by the time I was reading them. But not really because that's why I looked at when 100 came out because, mm-hmm. like I said, I know I had stopped by then, but I wasn't like – so far removed. Right. And that was only 96. So we're only talking five years later. Yeah. So anyway, the reason I was so like down that rabbit hole is it's interesting the things that we hang on to and the things that mm-hmm. we don't. Like why one book sticks around and one book doesn't, even though like everything about this would seem like it would stick out for me. It's just been a very... Mm-hmm. I mean, I almost wonder if it's because... Even as kids when we were reading this, it sort of gave us the same feelings that we're talking about having now reading it. And, like, it is just so pleasant that there's nothing that really jumps out. Because I think a lot of the books we remember the most that we've talked about or that we will talk about are the ones that have something very, like, distinctive. And not to go back to my favorite, as always, but, like, Christigating creepy notes that are ultimately Cokie Mason. Like, the Cokie Mason of it all is really the thing that I yeah. always hold on to, and I know to a certain extent you, but, like, there's nothing in this book that's like, oh, remember when this happened. It's, you know, it's a very nice book. You're it's right. a really great story, but there's not – it's not like, oh, this is the one where – Yeah, I mean, it, it, technically, you could say, like, this is the one where Jesse befriends the girl that has leukemia, but, like, is that really – something that you're going to be like, oh, remember that one? You know, like it's a big dramatic reveal or something. And I think you're right because the thing is, yes, it is kind of the one where Jesse's friend has cancer, but it's also the one with Make Me Wish. And it's also the one with volunteering. Like I I think what for me is probably it is that was more diluted. Mm -hmm. Like the – Cancer, Lurleen McDaniel aspect of it was actually a pretty like small aspect yeah. of the storyline. All things considered, it was really more about the the wider volunteering and that that bigger picture idea. And I think that that might have been why it didn't stick in that same mm-hmm. way that the Lurleen because because it didn't venture into that territory. Right. <laughs> like what we're praising for it now is probably why it didn't really register as much as a kid. Yeah. Go figure. The things <laughs> the things that we appreciate as adults are are vastly different than what they were as kids. Wow. What a stunning insight. No wonder where we get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is one of the reasons I did like it so much and it did feel so nice and pleasant is that, you know, a lot of times we do get one big theme mm-hmm. that the like we talk about the Danny Tanner moment. This is the lesson of the book. This is what it's about. And this one, there really isn't any one just one theme. Mm-hmm. It really does have each of these messages, but they don't feel 
Frankenstein together. It feels like it flows very nicely. They they play off of each other. It makes sense. But nothing I think the reason it works, especially because I was like, why, especially with these heavy topics, mm-hmm. am I so okay with sharing that spotlight? And I think it's because that's what keeps it from getting into that heavy-handed place. Like if the whole book was just about Danielle having cancer, we likely would have gotten into that real modeling yeah. tone at some point because that's all we're talking about. That's all we're focusing on. We probably talked would have gotten a lot more into the kids' fears about are they going to get cancer mm-hmm. and what you know. Like we touch on those things, but it's all really lightly and with a deft touch because we have other things to focus on and emphasize. Same with the volunteering. To me, it, it personally, it didn't feel overly preachy mm-hmm. because it and, – and again, thinking about that for a second, if if that had been the main focus, if it had really been like a babysitter's club takes on volunteering, right. we would have been like white savior to yeah, my point earlier, exactly. like to the extreme. So I, I think that that's why it worked so nicely is that none of them were – had the chance to get into that ham-handed, right. ham-fisted yeah, they, they all, place. Like you said, they all flowed together. They all worked together in one larger story in a really, really great way. But there was no emphasis on any one thing that would make it be a little bit overbearing, essentially. Yeah, I, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. Like, it, it just – it all worked together in, like, exactly the way <laughs> that we would want it to and the way that we know that Anne can make it happen. <laughs> So here's my only problem, though, then. Because there aren't any, like, of those huge, our big ideas like we usually usually dig into mm-hmm. and talk about, there's way less to get into here because it is just nice and yeah. pleasant. It does just sort of skim the surface. And as wonderful as that is, again, Anne was not sitting down and going, hmm, I bet two women are going to really sit down and, <laughs> right. and, you know. Dive into all of the points that I'm trying to make in this story. I hope I really get that subtext meaty enough right. for them to really, you know, dig into what's at stake here. So, you know, that's not, that is absolutely not a criticism mm-hmm. of the book itself. It makes our job a little bit more difficult, <laughs> right. but it is, it is absolutely a feature, not a bug of the book itself. But but yeah, there's just not as much like big picture there there or like big ideas that like we said that they really didn't dig into too far. So it, it's interesting in in that way because they do touch so lightly on so many heavy topics. You wouldn't expect it. Like mm-hmm. I was really expecting to come into this being like, oh boy. We're going to have to get into cancer. We're going to have to get into, like, the haves and the have-nots. And really, we just sort of skimmed over all of that yeah. really lightly. Or even, like, insurance. Because that, that was even part of the concern of, like, you know, Danielle wants to go to Disney World. And Jesse's like, well, you know, her family's doing – you know, they live in, like, a nice house. They're in – they live in Stony Brook. But, like, I'm sure her medical bills are expensive, dot, dot, dot. And, like, that's all we get. But, like, it could have been a lot more. And it could have uh, – yeah, I, f- I feel like each of these, like – "Quote unquote heavy topics or like meaningful topics. You, if you had gone any deeper on any of them, it would have been a much different book. And so, like you said, it makes it very difficult for us to have like again a meaningful conversation on like the topics and like the great ideas because each of them is so sort of surface level. And that sounds again, it sounds like a criticism, but it actually is what makes this book so so good because I mean, honestly." And we say this every time there's like a quote unquote issues book is like, that's not really what we want from Babysitter's Club, especially because when they do do that in these books, they don't do it well. And I think that's the thing that is like nice about this is like, yes, it would be great if we had some some of that like heavy hitting so we could dive into it. But also we know that it would not be done well, (laughs) you know, like I hate I feel bad like laughing about that, but like. We have seen this over and over again. Every time there's like an issue book or, you know, it's a very special topic. It's like, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't really like it. Be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Exactly. We always are like, oh, I wish they had done this. And then the next time they actually do that, we're like, why would you do that? That's terrible. Like, just kidding. Just kidding. We didn't want that. I thought I wanted this, but I I don't. (laughs) And to be very fair, 
in general, of the time, that was like very much the case. Mm. There wasn't like anybody that was really tackling topics really well. Right. You know, like we mentioned the date, we, you know, we always refer to that Danny Tanner moment. Like I said, it's not like they, Full House was nailing those, you know, right. <laughs> those deep, meaningful moments. You know, we, how much do we still mock? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so scared. Exactly. You know, so it's not like, the Babysitter's Club was alone in whiffing those issues. It was collectively we didn't, you know, especially kids' book. Right, like, exactly. Again, <laughs> what are we expecting? What are we – What what's the lift? But I think it would be kind of nice to just briefly go through and acknowledge all of the concepts that it does sort of really – introduce and and touch on with kids with really such a deft touch. So, because we've kind of talked about all of them, but it, we it sort of collect it together and, and uh, you know, make sense of it all. Because like we said, this really, it starts off with this idea of Jesse saving this volunteer club, which I'm, we'll, we'll come back to mm-hmm. the, the ridiculousness of that, you know, our, our favorite types of ridiculousness and a BSC plot not an adult to solve a problem in sight. It's up to the babysitter's club. Yes. Let's bring in this 11-year-old to fix everything. So we we introduced this concept of volunteering. And I love that it is taken so seriously, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the, the kids in the club – Jesse worries at first because they're rambunctious and wild and all over all over the place. But to a child, they all are invested. They all want to help. They all are coming up with ideas. All the ideas that they're coming up with are kid appropriate, mm-hmm. are easily done, like and implemented in like a real kid's life. And um, we'll circle back around to the volunteering because I do want to talk about that a, a little bit more. But I want to make sure we we don't miss any of the other ones because we did because I don't think we need to talk too much about the whole cancer of it all. Mm-hmm. I thought they, like I said, they did a really nice job of making the character of cancer and not be about cancer mm-hmm. or like character first, cancer second. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. Although I will say, and I don't know if this was just like children of the 80s or what, but it feels like every time in books, in TVs, in movies, it if someone had any kind of cancer, it was always leukemia. And I'm oh, yeah. And, and I as I was reading this, that was like the thing that jumped out. And like, yes, I appreciate that like it was Danielle as a person who has cancer, not Danielle is cancer. Or, you know, like, you know, cancer is not the like only the only her. thing about her. Like she's a person who has cancer, not like cancer defines her. But as I was reading it, I I was just like, why was it always leukemia? Like, you know, leukemia's been around it's not like it was new in the 80s as far as i know but like it feels like every every show every movie every book that we read as kids and into like our teens it was like it was always leukemia and i just and like i think that maybe i like thinking back i think i like internalized and i was like afraid that like i i think that there was just so much leukemia in the world that i felt like it was so likely that I would get it. I, I have distinct memories. And as I'm talking, it's like coming back and I'm like, I'm getting like hot thinking about this because I have like <laughs> real like sense memory of being a kid and being like concerned that I was going to get leukemia. And like, obviously anyone can get leukemia. And like, I think in my entire life, I've known two people that have had leukemia, at least that I'm aware of. And it was like before I even knew them. And so I've never actually like known anyone who was going through chemotherapy and radiation and everything and had like actively had leukemia at the time. And But I remember being a child and being almost like a f- deathly afraid that I was going to get leukemia because I had heard so much about it. And I Oh, I, I'm like unlocking memories. Like I said, I'm like, I'm like hot right now and just thinking about this. You know what? It's so funny that you say that because I did note, I was like, of course, it's leukemia. Mm-hmm. I, that was literally the note that I wrote down. And, but I didn't really like think of it much beyond that. I yeah. just went right past it. But as you were talking, I was like, you know what? You're exactly right. For kids of our age in our geriatric millennial, <laughs> or, you know what? I've decided I really kind of love elder millennial. It conjures like, fantasy images to mm-hmm. me like i'm getting like a gandalfy vibe but i'm like i'm gonna lean into that i'm I like, I like this it. elder millennial there's a gravitas there yes. anyway <laughs> back back on the on the point 
for like Gen X, elder millennial, uh, all of us at a certain time, it feels like on par with our fear of quicksand, Mm -hmm. where like we were led to believe that this was going to be a far bigger, more common situation that we ran across in regular life. I feel like there were a number of things like that, 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 that like we're overrepresented for some reason in pop culture that we because I you're exactly right I have known far too many unfortunately yeah. people who have had cancer of mm-hmm. some kind and have experienced cancer treatment maybe one right. was leukemia if I'm if I'm even remembering that correctly like I you don't but you're right every single Lurleen McDaniels book I think it was because it did have a really high curability rate mm-hmm. so that there That's was a like good point. Always that hope that 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 you could be fine, but it was deadly enough that it didn't wasn't implausible that mm-hmm. they you know you like you didn't want for those types of books to work. There needs to be more hope that they could yeah, live than not because then it sense. has to be tragic that they died. Like right. if it's if you just if you know from the jump that it's right if it's a hundred percent fatal, then it's there's not as it's a different story that you're telling. For sure. And not all of them died. Right. You know? Exactly. Some of them lived. Exactly. Well, and I, as you were talking about quicksand, the other thing that I think falls into that category is that random people on the street will push hard drugs on you. Would or you like even soft drugs? Would you please someone <laughs> here, offer me here, marijuana, take, please? Take yes. these drugs. Take this heroin. Take this meth. Take this marijuana. Take this coke. Like, out of nowhere. I, I, I really thought that that was going to be a huge thing. And I, I – and between – I didn't have dare, but we had something similar. And then also reading Go Ask Alice, like I was a, I was like terrified of drugs too as a child. I was afraid of everything. Apparently, I'm like, all talking about you with this stuff is bringing back all these terrible memories about what a weird kid I was and how afraid I was of everything. Oh, it's it's a it's a weird day today for me. <laughs> It's finally your turn. I've had these emotional breakdowns and these like (laughs) processing moments like 17 times now. It's about time you've joined the party. Exactly. You know what's funny is, you know what it just reminded me of as as we were, I was like, you're unlocking this for Mm -hmm. me too. You know what it was for me? Bruises. Bruises was always the first sign of, of leukemia and unknown where bruises come from and as someone who now, as an adult, I understand has ADHD, mm-hmm. which has mobility issues, which has, you know, clumsiness for lots and lots of different reasons, of course I'm going to have tons of unexplained bruises. Right. But I spent a large portion of my junior high era yep. convinced that every unknown bruise meant that I had leukemia and was going to die. And I needed, I was really afraid of the bone marrow biopsy. Mm-hmm. Like they made that sound really, really terrible. Wow, we have gone really far afield. But. Well, th- this is what happens when the book is so lovely that we don't have specific things to talk about. Our our mar- minds start wandering. We start reverting to our our children. Our ch- <laughs> I can't talk. We start reverting to our childhood terror situations. I don't even know what right? I'm talking about. But it, this is what this book is doing to us. We're we're really diving deep on on our childhood trauma. Is not the right word, but it, it's sort of adjacent. <laughs> You know what? You that's actually a really good transition into the other away from our extreme tangent and back onto the semi-tangent that is just like checking off sort of like the flittering of themes. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't even know how to describe it throughout smattering a girl dinner of themes, if you will. <laughs> but to your point, they do a really good job, I thought, of bringing up this idea of um, that comparison, that misery Olympics that so mm-hmm. often happens where Jesse starts to like go down that path of, oh, leukemia is better than cystic fibrosis or, but is it really, is, is muscular dystrophy worse? And and, and really it, she opens it, introduces that you could start thinking that way and then immediately is like, and that's not useful, that's not helpful, that's not, and I was like, that is such a wonderful way to like acknowledge that's a thing kids are might, are likely going to start thinking. Mm-hmm. That's just how kids' brains work. And tell them, don't go there. Right. That's not helpful. That's not how this works. I thought that was a really, like I said, a lovely way of, of just sort of touching that and introducing that sort of scary topic. Same with the idea of the kids and like, were they afraid of Danielle? But mm-hmm. no, they were ma- more afraid for Danielle. I think the only aspect that got missed there that I think, and I'm going back and forth on, do I actually want it 
because we're we're just talking about how lovely and light the touch is, mm. and this is not a light touch, but like the idea of what they're actually afraid of is that it could be them, that if right. it happened to their her, it could be them. And while we know that's what's going on, I I I kind of like that they didn't introduce yeah. that to the kids because kids would not be that psychologically, you know, high minded about it. I, I think it would go over their heads. Yeah. I don't think it would be helpful for them. But other than the Jesse having to discover it and sign the family up <laughs> right. for it. Yes, do, do the, the mature child thing and make the phone call to the Make-A-Wish organization and get all of her questions answered and, and ask all the right questions and what do I need to do to get this family? And, oh, they just need to call us and they'll be on the list. Like, okay. That clearly this family who's been dealing with childhood cancer for multiple years, like months at the very minimum, right. has never even heard of this as an option. Exactly. Also, that this this is clearly not Make-A-Wish. They seem a little fly-by-night because they needed to wait to, to have enough money on hand to send a family to four for a three-day trip to Disney. So they, this in the 80s, <laughs> right. so, or like in There were only two parks then. It was much less expensive. <laughs> so this was not exactly like a, a – I mean, at what? At most, this could have been a five grand trip. Like if we're talking if they're mm. getting like every souvenir, if they're staying at like on on resort premise. Right. And if, the, if they're so small that they have to like – we have to wait till we can fundraise and earn that <laughs> five, five grand. Maybe Jesse did have to research them because maybe Make-A-Wish doesn't – okay, I solved it. <laughs> Make a wish doesn't exist in this universe. That would make so sense. Okay. This it is just this tiny thing that Jesse has found. But I think all that that's all the little like cancer related, mm-hmm. illness related. Uh like I said, they did we we've talked about the cancer ones. They did talk about other diseases, but they were primarily just like mentioned. They don't really talk too much about what it means other than to like introduce the idea of some physical disabilities, some degenerative mm-hmm. progressive dis- uh, diseases where things, you know, you you can start off with right. use of yeah, limbs. Like it muscular gets worse. dystrophy, I think, is one of the things. And, yeah. Um, yeah. But they're all just sort of introduced. They're like mentioned once in passing. Even Dawn's chapter with her, with Kendra, her mm-hmm. uh, cystic fibrosis volunteer person, girl. I, I don't even know, like charge, I guess, because yeah. like babysitting charge, participant is kind of, yeah. in after yeah. school activities. Mascot is is let's be real. <laughs> it's what it, it what it really is. But even that, like, we didn't really get too much into like what what does that really mean mm-hmm. for the reality of her. It was all very like. Focus on the positive and like she, the, all the things that she can still do, and and I think that that is great and perfect and appropriate for these mm-hmm. for, for what these books are and this book in particular. I don't think we needed to really go down down that path. So I like I said, I thought all of those what could have been really heavy themes were handled in a really nice little aperitif mm-hmm. offering. You a little get a moose bouche, a little taste of yeah. each one. I don't. I, apparently, I'm hungry. Apparently, this afternoon. I don't know. But yeah, you're you're making me hungry with all of these food references. But I no, I think that that's the perfect way to talk about it because that's really what it is. It's a smorgasbord of exactly what we need to use a different kind of food analogy. <laughs> so if it weren't like we said, if it weren't the cancer kid book, it would be the volunteering book. Right. So I think that's the other like big theme of it. And as much as we teased the books about it. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it was all kid driven and that they all picked something that was meaningful to them that was in line. This is what I meant by like such a perfect quintessential babysitters club book because you get to know exactly a little bit about who each of these girls mm-hmm. are based on who they picked, why, how they interacted with it. Like for example, uh, Christy, of course, Christy is great. She's in a daycare. Right. So she gets her pick of like which age group. Of course, she's great at all of them, jumps in and, and like, saves the teacher in every single situation, yeah. loves every single one of them equally. And, you know, I was like, that, that's, that's very Christy. perfect Christy moment. So that is, you know, like I said, we, we give gentle teasing about that. But I do really like that it was – it wasn't an assignment that came to right. them from, like the, like, the author week stuff, like – some of sometimes those things can feel very uh, externally driven. This felt very internally motivated. Yeah, no, I agree, and I really liked that it wasn't like 
Jesse being like, we're going to do this project for this after school club. It was like, I'm going to do this. How do you guys feel about maybe let's take a little bit of time off of babysitting and we can all do some volunteering. And like, yeah, the fact that it was not an assignment and it also wasn't one of the girls being like, I found this thing. We're all going to do it. And like, there are good stories that come from those situations. We've seen that in past books as well. And I'm sure we'll see it in future books. But I, yeah, I really just appreciated that it was like, hey, Let's try this out for a month. I think it would be cool if we all do this, you know, because she's almost, not almost, she's inspired by her little sister participating in this club and like seeing how much it means to Becca and to Charlotte and to Nikki and all of these other kids and, you know, really getting inspired by like hearing what Becca has been doing. Like, oh, we did this project. We did that project. And oh, no, my teacher is not going to be able to be here because she's going on sabbatical with her husband. I I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get to keep doing this club. I feel so strongly about volunteering on a weekly basis that I, I, I'm, I'm going to be devastated. And so Jesse really like takes that to heart and it really means something to her and it moves her to want to be able to like help all these kids help other people. And it, you know, from there inspires the rest of the babysitters club, which I think is a really great message. Cause yeah, I mean, there are plenty of things in middle school and high school where I volunteered because I wanted to, but there were also a lot of situations where it was like, you're a part of this club, so you're going to do this project, or oh, for this class, you have to go volunteer 10 hours this semester or whatever. And like, it doesn't, it feels better when it's something you actually care about. And it's really nice that we got to see all of the girls be like, yeah, this is cool. I want to, I want to help other people. And I want to, you know, obviously they're helping kids when they're babysitting. We see that in every story too. But like, it's nice to see them go out and help kids that aren't necessarily, you know, their parents are paying for them to be there and spend time with them. Obviously they care about all these kids, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's nice to see them branch out and see some other kids that we haven't seen them interact with before. I think, though, that is my only, like, other not, – again, not a complaint at mm-hmm. all. It's something that could have, I think, taken – similar to, like, making it – this is super special. So you have more space right. and you get to hear about each of the girls. I think another way that this could have been, like, next level is – and what I thought was going to happen, I don't know why, but what I just sort of assumed was that they were going to, like, link – each volunteer opportunity with a babysitting charge so that that could have been like something that they like shared. I know Charlotte was involved in, in the Danielle plot line, but like if Stacy could have brought Charlotte with her because, you know, Charlotte's so worried about her diabetes and learned so much about that in the past. And like, had it been a like, Oh, we're learning about this together and sharing about this together. And then that could have kept like the babysitters club aspect just slightly more Mm -hmm. involved. And the only reason I nitpick about that is because literally it was just last plot where or last book where the plot was around how Mallory couldn't take two seconds of her own time <laughs> right. to do act, literal schoolwork. And now Jesse's like, I'm going to take a month. And not only is Christy like, that's cool, but you know what? That's such a great idea. I think we all take a month off. Right. Like, and not only that, but like the club clearly kept working. Like, we. So I was like, so are we never allowed to have another plot where somebody freaks out about how the how is the club going to survive if you take time away? Mm-hmm. Because we just learned club functions just right. fine. It would have been nice to have like even a one sentence reference to like we knew we could do it because Ma- last book. I mean, obviously they wouldn't say last book, but, you know, Mallory just took off, you know, a couple weeks so that she could you know, write her award-winning story or whatever, you know, like it doesn't have to be like a whole thing, but it, it, yeah, I agree. It would have been helpful to be like, hey, the Babysitter's Club can still function. You guys are like a a well-oiled machine. Your families know how to reach you. It's fine. Take some time off. It doesn't have to be your whole life. (laughs) The thing that I'm already like fanfic writing in my head is I wish they would have like acknowledged that a little bit more Mm -hmm. because this could have been a way to keep the club going in high school like say hey remember like we don't have it doesn't have to be all or nothing like I think that could be a really good lesson Mm -hmm. for them and who knows maybe that's one they learned down the line you know into books who knows we haven't gotten because I know that the 100th book like I I said before was the Christie's worst idea which was about disbanding the club and we know that doesn't happen because there are at least 38 more books beyond that. <laughs> right. <so. laughs> Unless the, in that one multiverse, they do disband yeah. the club. And then we jump to another multiverse and I guess another universe in the multiverse where 
Christy didn't have her worst idea. Now they're doing this and this and this, and Abby shows up or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I, we don't even. I was just about to say, I. You know what? I don't even know if Abby is pre one hundred, post one hundred. Who knows where no where Abby comes idea. in? Well, you know what? We're gonna find out. <laughs> we should start like an Abby countdown. I know how long till Abby? No arrives. Abby yet. <laughs> Book forty eight. Abby not in sight. And I like where does Abby come from? Especially because if we're in perpetual eighth grade, is she like Dawn? Does she just like appear like, out of nowhere? I'm here. Are we just gonna get like hear about how oh Abby's been in the background this right. whole time? We just have never mentioned her yeah. before. I can't wait. I can't wait to find out I know. about it, Abby. It's, I I feel like I hope we don't build it up too much because I feel like we're like, I can't wait to see how this happens. And then it just turns out like, oh, Abby's new. And it's Abby like no to story. Town. It's fine. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I hope it's she befriended more of a somebody. story, but we'll I'm find out. I'm pretty sure she's a replacement for Dawn. Like, I'm pretty sure mm. once Dawn moves back to California completely. Okay. Yes, because she does do that. It's not it, – I, I was thinking maybe it was like she went back for like a year. But no, she like moves back, moves back, right? I think. I have no idea. I didn't get that far. Because I know that – what. The We Heart Kids Club is the um, the series when Dawn is in in California. There's the ca- oh the California, oh, California Diaries, Diaries. Is the, okay the that We Heart sense. Kids Club series. So that is at some point she must be living there permanently enough for there to be an entire right. book series. So okay. in any case, the point is uh, I got kind of got off off topic a little bit there, but the point I was I was thinking was if they had included the kids a little bit more, they could have sidestepped that particular mm-hmm. thorny, you know, I don't want to call it plot hole, but yeah. kind of. <laughs> and if it, it would have been a cool thing to show, like, passing on that volunteering right. as as a as a mentoring kind of thing. I guess like we kind of get that with Jesse, but just mm-hmm. more of – I don't know. I guess they kind of don't need it. The, even the younger kids are really – they're driven to do the volunteering stuff, you know, on their own. Yeah, they're already, like, invested. I think this was just – like we were saying, it's just a, a nice book. And I don't know. I, I don't. I feel like other than maybe a couple random things in fashion, I don't know that I have any other, like, high-level, hard-hitting topics that we need to talk about unless you do. No, I'm with you. I just uh, – I do wish I remembered this more because mm-hmm. the thing is, I I was very involved in volunteering in, in junior high. And, like, it was me driving certain things to, like, starting projects and things. And I feel I feel really strongly that this ties back to this. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember that at all, which feels strange. But, like, emotionally that makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. Does I could go on a tangent for days on that, <laughs> but it's just it, it's interesting. Like I said before, the things that that stick and the things that don't, mm-hmm. and why they do, and and why they don't. But um, the so I did mention I did have a random timeline mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to just point out. We've mentioned a number of times. It's always interesting to me when they include real brands and when it's fake things. Mm-hmm. Like in particular, we talked about the the off rent Make a Wish Foundation. Mm-hmm. But they do mention Barbie and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mm -hmm. which is so funny to me in the year of our Lord 2023 when we got movies on the main screen Mm -hmm. of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Barbie. It's like, who would have figured that those would have stood the test of time? But the reason I double-checked the dates is because... Secret of the Ooze came out in March 1991, Uh and this was October 1991. So that kid that Marianne was working with was 100% – or whoever was I think it was Christy. I think it was Christy. You're right. When she was doing the the first room at the daycare, helping the older kids with homework. You're right. He was absolutely inspired by the ninja rap, hands down. For sure. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, that was a seven-year-old room. A seven-year-old kid in 1991 – had just seen Secret of the Ooze in the theaters and was still ninja wrapping it up. And I know this because I was one of them. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Anyway, that was my big timeline. Like, okay, maybe it says nothing about the actual series, but it says something (laughs) about the timeline of our lives. I love it. equally important. I support it. I kind of didn't have any other major, like, random observations, though. Did you? Only one thing. I just wanted to read this quote from Jesse's narrations about um, what makes a best friend, because it was just sort of like a cute thing. So she said, 
I have thought a lot about what makes a best friend. I still do not have an answer. Among the girls in the Babysitter's Club are several pairs of best friends. There's Mal and me, of course. There's Stacy and Claudia, Marianne and Dawn, and Marianne and Christy. Yes, Marianne has two best friends. It looks to me as if best friends have some things in common, but not everything. For instance, Mal and I are the same, yet different. Maybe that means that best friends need to have something in common, but also need to find something in each other that's foreign or unusual or unexpected. Opposites attract. I'm not sure, though. Friendship can be complicated. Like, it it just was sweet. You know, I just... Agreed. And it feels so Jesse. I guess the other thing that I really liked, and this came like right after that, and I also had this, but she was talking about the club when it was coming to be created. She, I, a side note to that side note, I loved the way that Jesse talked about all of the girls in the Babysitters Club and the mm-hmm. Babysitters Club and Christy's great ideas over the years. Like she had like a bullet point list of all of Christy's great ideas. Like it was just really fun. And I, I think, and I know we've talked about this before, but like it's fun to look at the differences and how the authors, whether it's Anne or some of the ghostwriters, write each of the girls with a slightly different voice and a slightly different importance factor about what they care about, you know, with Mallory and also with Jesse, we see a lot of like, who has their ears pierced? How do they have their ears pierced? And one of the things that I liked that I was about to talk about was when Jesse's talking about the club being created, she references that it's before she and Dawn even lived in Stony Brook. And also Mm -hmm. it was when Mallory was a quote unquote babysitter, not a babysitter. And I just thought that was like fun. And I, I just... I really, really loved Jessie's narration in this book overall, but especially when she was talking about the girls and the club. And yeah, it was just, you know, in keeping with our our theme of loving everything about this book, I just loved that in particular. I agree. I think that that is like my biggest thing with all of it is like I keep looking at my notes and they're all just like, Oh, that was cute. Mm-hmm. That like lovely little things that nothing that feels worthy of a like conversation. Right. But little things like, oh, pen pals. That was such a I remember being that being such a thing at that age. Mm-hmm. Although I do wonder what the modern version of pen pal is, because it probably is Zoom, you know? Right. Like it's it's different or even just than email, which feels different than pen pals too. Yeah. It doesn't have quite the same I, I wonder, you know what, they probably still do those types of things because there is still something really special and exciting about getting a letter mm-hmm. in the mail and probably even more so now. That's so true. I'm going to, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm going to choose to believe <laughs> kids still use pen Yeah, I like that. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that completely. But yeah, the rest of this stuff was just, it was just all Mr. Toes being the adorable mm-hmm. name for a cat with like... With white paws, is, yeah. With white paws, like so cute. The the description of, of how they played with Barbies, although that did take a, a our one turn into war paint territory. That was a little. That was mm-hmm. not a little. That was very iffy. But uh, but the specificity of how kids play and the care and reality that that the world is shown is is really what makes these books so 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 special mm-hmm. so speaking of that uh, before you get into the actual uh fashion of it all because i'm sure there's as, as there always is with jesse mm-hmm. some good descriptions what i did note is it's come up a, a number of times we talk about dawn's individuality and a couple of times they very specifically tied that to her fashion sense do we really have examples of Dawn expressing her individuality mm-hmm. via fashion? Because, like, I feel like we have a million of those for Christy or even really Stacy. But, like, I couldn't even really describe Dawn's style. I, she has long corn flower silk blonde right. hair. Uh, they, I feel like the thing is they never really describe specific outfits of Dawn. It's always California casual and she does her own thing. But, like... I feel like the couple times we've gotten descriptions, it was like when she's wearing Marianne's clothes, you know, like we don't usually get full descriptions of Dawn clothes. And I feel like usually it's like she's wearing a blue shirt with leggings or something. And it's like not even when we get a description, it's not even a real description. You know, like there's you and I have had these conversations, too, about like there are very specific Claudia and Stacey outfits that like we remember from our childhoods. Mm -hmm. And there's imprinted. There's no Dawn outfit that rings a bell in my head, even the books that we have read recently. You know, like there's nothing from when I was a kid, but there's also nothing that I'm like, oh, yes, remember that one time Dawn wore X. Like, nope, nothing. Nope. And even Marianne, I could like 
describe what her style is right. like. You know, I could like envision a a, Mar- a quintessential Marianne outfit, even if it's not like a specific right. one that was described from the book. But yeah, anyway, I just thought it was a really interesting uh, that. The Dawn is keeps being called out for having this unique, does her own thing style, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't think of a single description in which she was doing something unique and out there. Yeah. It all seems pretty. I, I mean, her food stuff, yeah, but they specifically say it about fashion, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but what were some of the the fun fashions that Jesse noted? Um. Okay, so we've gotten we didn't get a lot of like actual outfits. It was more ideas of outfits like when she's describing the girls so the the couple that i wanted to talk about and there was one specific description of becca and danielle that i wanted to call out just because i thought it was fun so when she's talking about stacy she says she dresses in really chilly clothes leggings cowboy boots hats short skirts a lot of black etc she has blonde hair which her mother lets her perm every now and then and of course her ears are pierced by the way speaking of pierced ears did i mention that dawn has each of her ears pierced twice stacy's are pierced the regular way like mal's and mine she and mallory are so obsessed with ears pierced even though they now have their ears pierced i like it may i guess it still makes sense but it also was like I don't know. Like, they're still so obsessed with it, even though they already have their ears pierced. It just, it makes me laugh. I Because that really was, especially, like, when, whether or not you had multiple piercings and how you wore them, that was really a sign mm-hmm. of, like, maturity and age and, like, yeah, it, I get it. And I I, th- I noted that one, too. I thought that, I especially love that she used the word chili. I was like, oh, Trying to make it happen. <laughs> making fetch happen. I love how much Jesse and Mallory love the older girls. Mm-hmm. Like, that is one of the most fun things to watch because that feels very true to life yeah. to how I was at that age. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then when she's describing Claudia now, Note, we will end with one of those problematic descriptions of Claudia, but here we go. Claudia Kishi, who I suppose is the funkiest dresser of all the Babysitter's Club members, has one of her ears pierced once and the other twice. Her clothes are similar to Stacy's, but I suppose that if Claudia were to offer a fashion tip, it would be accessorized to the max. She certainly follows her own advice, wearing tons of hats, belts, boots, jewelry. She makes a lot of the jewelry and hair ornaments. Claudia has beautiful long black hair and she wears it in different styles. She's really striking looking. Her parents are Japanese and Claude's features are exotic. Plus, despite a passion for junk food her complexion is gorgeous so we did get a little bit of that veering into uncomfortable descriptions of claudia as always yeah well we're very used to that problematic turn unfortunately but i love the detail about to your earring point earlier Mm -hmm. like that claudia has just the one double piercing right that just feels so right for her and that's what i mean about like the details that feel seared, like you were talking about, like Stacy and Claudia's outfits, whereas Dawn just just doesn't. But yeah, I loved that so yeah, much. Same. Anyway. Yeah. And then the last one is just um, Becca and Danielle when they're hanging out together. Jesse describes their outfits and she said, Becca and Danielle looked at each other joyously. What a pair they made. Becca, dark skin, shorter and chunkier than Danielle, wearing a flashy pair of jams, her thick hair arranged in ponytails, and Danielle, still pale with the shape of... With the shape of a bean pole, <laughs> wearing droop- <laughs> so I was like, "Oh boy, that's what I'm about to say." Okay, with the shape of a bean pole, wearing droopy jeans and her even droopier "bald is beautiful" T-shirt, a blue and green scarf not really hiding her almost bald head. It's just sweet. I love it. It is sweet, and I I even love the bean pole because that just feels like <laughs> such a boomer word. Like, I know. I feel like nobody says that, but like I definitely heard like my grandparents and like older people refer to people. Looking like bean poles. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Which, what is a bean pole? Don't know. I assume something tall and skinny. A, a skinny pole you tie your beans to so they grow up instead of along the ground? Question mark. I don't know. That would make sense. Well, we'll go with that. We like our definition. Yes. We love better. our bean we'll, pole. <laughs> in, in true millennial fashion, we've discussed it. Now we'll Google it and find the real answer. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of not caring about real answers. <laughs> Oh, what are a you transition. ready? Well, yes, yes. Sometimes they just present themselves. Um, let's talk about next week. Next week we have Claudia and the Genius of Elm Street. Do you remember this one at all? I do not. So I have a vague recollection of the plot. 
because I there were a couple of things going on here. I, in some ways, would get annoyed with Claudia about the going back and over and over again, the same treading the mm-hmm. same ground with Janine. Like we've talked about that before. And then I also would sometimes like overemphasize with Janine because of the whole gifted and talented thing. And I know Mm -hmm. we've talked about that before, too. So while I don't remember a ton of the specifics about this one, I do remember the general plot. And that was that they get a new babysitting client and it turns out that she is also a genius like Janine and they really bond. And Claudia is very jealous because babysitting is supposed to be her thing Mm -hmm. that differentiates her from like Janine's genius. And so now Janine is taking this from her too, if I remember correctly. So that's my prediction for the... Prediction slash remembrance for the real plot. Okay. My outlandish prediction is that – oh, I probably should have let you do your realistic one first, but whatever. I don't actually know that mine's true. It just feels true in my head. So anyway, outlandish, which is more true in in the ways that really count to me. <laughs> um, let's go with same initial setup, new babysitting client. Turns out she's a genius, but Claudia, having had experience with geniuses, knows get in early, and this is a cash cow that you can just milk (laughs) over and over again. And we start plans for world domination of franchising Babysitter's Club, as has often been the case, Mm -hmm. um, of their ambition to take over the world. That's They're going to use this genius to make that happen. Let's say she's a genius with computers, because that's something we haven't really Mm -hmm. seen yet. So she's going to early days of the internet, like the net style hacker level, you know, getting the babysitter's club in to take over the world. So that's my outlandish genius plot. Okay. My regular one, because I refuse to engage with a storyline where we revert to Claudia and Janine having problems because of their differences. The genius of Elm Street is Claudia in that she is a genius when it comes to art or something she gets recognized for her her brilliance in art and so she is the titular genius of elm street i don't know how i don't know why but i i refuse to engage in in sister on sister crime so <laughs> i love this support fully support yes we we've i'm like already like oh boy do i know I, I'm, just, uh, like I'm not looking myself. forward to it because no i'm not even talking about it we'll talk about it next yep. week because i'm sure it's going to be the same conversation we've had every time and my outlandish prediction is that genius is actually uh, an acronym. I haven't put any thought into what it is, but it's essentially an AI, you know, before the next book, I'll, I'll come up with the genius acronym because I, I can't think that fast today because my brain is broken, as you can tell by my, my rambling and my, my spits and starts in this episode. Well- we're on the same page, <laughs> it's, my friend. It's one of those days. So I will I I endeavor to discover what genius is an acronym for. However, I do know that genius is an AI that Claudia and Janine create together because it it needs to be right brained and left brained. So we get both of their knowledge coming together. It's sisters working together towards a huge project. They create genius who in you know eschewing all Sci-fi tropes is a good AI that helps bring the world together and make babysitting the superior job. The end. <laughs> I love this. Like an actually benevolent Mrs. Davis. Exactly. Okay. I dig this. By the way, if you have not watched Mrs. Davis on Peacock, do yourself a favor. It is delightful. It is about an AI that solves all the world's problems, but there's a small group of people who are, like, not buying it. And (laughs) to say anything else would spoil the delightful surprises. But I like this. I like this a lot. I I especially (laughs) like the coming together of the sisters to to create the genius. Yes. Uh, Again, I I have a feeling that we are are going to spend most of next week being like, I wish it was our our plots. Yeah. (laughs) But – We'll, we are going to see what happens and make the best of it. Hell, hell, for all we know, it could be actually Anne again, and it could be, you That's know, true. something really great. Maybe it's handled really deftly, and they do come together in some way. But uh, 
I'm not going to hold my breath. All my for fingers the next- crossed, but not holding my breath. We will, we'll, we'll see. But I guess at this point, is there any other final club business before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, we should probably just remind everybody where to find us, though. That sounds like a plan. So we are on Instagram actively or maybe not as actively as we could be, but at least actively engaging there when when we remember to um, at Generation BSC. Uh, we're not on Twitter X. I mean, technically we're on it, but no, we're not. And we're, we're thinking about Blue Sky, but given how terrible we are at <laughs> Instagram or, or as as under-engaged as we are at Instagram, we, we're not sure that adding another social media platform is necessarily going to benefit us or you. But if you feel very strongly about Blue Sky, please let us know and we'll, yes. we'll, we'll get I, on it. I honestly don't even think I know what Blue Sky is or like, is it like... I, I know it's an alternative social media experience. Exactly. So. We are clearly very savvy social media yes. uh, people. Yes, we're we're right on top of that rose. But if you if you want to tell us to get on Blue Sky or you want to t- send us some of your Babysitter's Club fan fiction or something that, you know, maybe is better suited to an email than a, a DM or a, an Instagram comment, you can also email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.